from my loft studio above the garage in Riverside, California. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. So this week's guest unfortunately had to cancel, but lucky for me, this happened just before I started my lecture at Art Center last Monday, which happened to be virtual thanks to this cold and flu season. So I offered any of my students who wanted to be on a podcast at the last minute five points of extra credit to come on and ask questions about anything photography related, and four of my students came through. I chat with Timothy, Alejandra, Sion, and Diana about how they ended up at Art Center and what they hope to learn from my product photo class. Before we jump into the episode, a couple of notes. Uh, we're about one week away from Henry Stewart Photo Studio Ops London on March 1st, and I will be there. So if you're there for the event, hopefully we'll get a chance to connect. Also in London a few nights before on February 28th, that's right, it's a leap year, don't forget about that. I just registered for Flow Local, hosted by Pixels, which is a new event type for this year. Uh, so either of those opportunities to meet up potentially and talk creative production, photography, and e-com, e I think a uh, real possibility. One last thing, it's a sort of teaser announcement because I'm doing this on the fly and I'm not sure if the details are ready to be announced just yet, but I'm co-producing a podcast miniseries that's going to take an in-depth look at the photographer and retoucher relationship, how those two roles have worked together historically, and what that has evolved to today as technology has continued to make the previously impossible possible. I'm extremely excited about it. Uh, I have a sponsor slash co-producer. An episode has been recorded and it's in the can and there are others soon to follow. So uh, keep your ears open for that. So with that, let's get back to uh, the students from Art Center and the AMA with Professor Jester. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Joining me for this episode, this is very special to me. I have three students, current, former students, TAs, uh, in my product photography class at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. So I'm welcoming to the show Alejandra, who's my took my class last semester and is now my TA this semester. Hi, Alejandra. Hello. And Sion is in my class. Uh, Sion, what term are you at Art Center? I'm now in fourth term fourth term so you've got yeah. like four more terms are you thinking before you graduate or a few more than that yeah i'm, I'm expecting take uh taking four more terms um uh, as quick as possible because i already took a huge break before so but okay yeah, yeah but. and what's your major at art center you're a photography major yeah yeah, yeah. we all in photo department yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's I, I asked that because last semester I was surprised to find out that a couple of my students were actually fine art majors and their medium was photography, which was an interesting, uh, just interesting bit of information. It doesn't really change the way I teach the class, but interesting bit of information. Last guest. So there's three of my students joining Timothy. Hi, Timothy. How are you? Hey. And what term are you? Uh, fourth term. Yeah. Alejandra, are you fourth term as well? I'm fifth term now. I'm fifth currently now. doing. I was fourth term last time, Got and it. then I'm currently doing my fifth term. Yeah. Alejandra, um, just for the audience, natural born producer. Never, I've never seen anybody with more natural producer talent. And I'm not saying that because she's not good at photography. She's very good at photography. But there, there's a reason that she's my TA this semester is because like it was like working with a great producer who just knew how to get stuff done. So that's your flattery for this episode, Alejandra. You're not going to get anything else out of me. Thank I'm going to be uh, you're, you're going to work for your money. Sion, tell me a little bit about your journey with photography. Like, what do you like to shoot? 
um, what made you decide to take my product class and uh, maybe throw in there like something interesting that you've learned this semester? I, I'm going to briefly t- briefly tell my journey on photography. I started uh, to shooting photos since when I was in high school, like 17 years old. Um, I just, I think I just get a fun of taking photo with smartphone at first. And um, I just decided to take a photo with camera and I learned photo in Korea like more deep and deep um, hmm. and um, my father proposed me uh, how like to go to United States to study more about in photography and I and I, I searched for uh, several schools uh, for like famous for art and hmm. art center was I think was re- a really great option for me hmm. so um, I actually I uh, studied uh, first and second term in t- 2019 and 2020. And um, I get, I go back to Korea just for a while for finish my military duty. So, mm. um, but it was, which was really huge. Um, that was quite a long time for me. So, and after I discharged from military, I started to change my uh, genre of photo. Mm. I started to take a street photography and documentary photography that I never uh, experienced before. Mm. Um, so now I'm really, um, I think I'm specialized in taking candid photos, street photos, um, taking like a special moments in streets. Mm. Um, yeah, so my one of my uh, dream is to be a journalist, like mm. photojournalist. But um, the reason why I'm taking the product photo class is to, I just want to learn how uh, product photo works in industry uh, okay. and I, I also wanted to know uh, how to uh, lighting use the lighting tools well in product photos um, I I would love to ask you about your mandatory Korean military service but that is not what this podcast is about I think that's yeah, really yeah, cool and interesting um, but no that's that that's really cool and I, I've said this in class and I think that it's really true that I think the lessons that you learn in product photo will serve you well um, in any kind of photography even though with documentary and street photography you're not necessarily in control of the light you will be pretty well equipped to identify fantastic light um, that is naturally occurring out there. Cause I think that that's part of when you're working a lot with light and manipulating it yourself, you start to see it better. Um, which is something that I think anybody who's drawn to photography sees light in a certain kind of unique way. Um, anyway, Timothy, uh, tell me a little bit about your interest and background in photography and how you ended up in product photo. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's pretty much the same as everyone is like, I started with my phone and I just, like to shooting different stuff and uh there was like a black friday or something i saw a canon camera on sale but i ended up by a sony one that was a mm-hmm. bad choice so but, There's such, but i've accidentally i've accidentally created a real sense, sense of <laughs> of unwillingness to share what kind of camera you use in my class because i think i said something bad about nikon pretty early on and it put everybody on edge i'm very sorry about that um i i like to uh i like to give sony a hard time because i find their menus confusing but any camera is a great camera in my opinion Um, anyway continue timothy but but then i bought a film camera so i shoot more films than yeah the digital so that's how i got like more serious stuff 
And that's one of the things that I think is interesting about Art Center is many of the photography classes at Art Center are still sort of rooted in film and, and understanding photography at that sort of level, which I think is pretty valuable. Um, and Art Center still has one of the biggest uh, photo labs on the West Coast and that's still functioning. And I think a lot of students uh, have any of you guys ever worked in the actual print lab? Uh, I know that I mean, not the print lab where you make digital prints, but in the film labs at Art Center. I know students like staff those places. It's pretty interesting. Um, okay, Alejandra, what? Uh, how did you get into photo? I got into photo and I came to photo like for a place of healing. I picked up my camera like as a way of coping with like, you know, just being bummed out about, you know, what was going on in my personal life. And then yeah. um, I actually started a GoFundMe account to be able to purchase my first camera. I was taking like local community uh, photography classes at night. And mm. then I started just like picking up the camera and then just being um, learning more about it, like Aperture, ISO, which still remains a conundrum to me, but I'm learning. And then yeah. um, I got like this opportunity to um, pursue photography like in a more serious way. So I went to like, um, I started um, going to like a, what do like a trade school to pick up film. Uh -huh. And then um, after that um, I got like, um, I got to work with like red, red cameras. They're like huge. I don't know if yeah. like for film. And um, I got to know like Photoshop. I got to know more about like the Adobe suites and stuff like that. And then um, I was really hard. I didn't know what type of photographer I wanted to be. All I knew is that I wanted to see my images somewhere, either printed mm. on magazines, billboard, newspapers. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted my photos to like to be printed somewhere or to see them somewhere. And so I, mm. I that's how I ended up with uh, doing local journalism. Mm. And I saved for like two years for my camera, for another camera. Cause I, the one, by the time I got to like uh, local journalism, my camera was a bit outdated, even though mm. some of my best photographs are still with my first camera. And then, um, I built a portfolio and in the pandemic, I kind of had like a, like one of those like life changing moments, like what the heck are you doing? Do you want to take this seriously? Mm. Do you want to take it to the next level? And I knew that I was lacking technique and, um, that's my, perf my, uh, local journalism, uh, images, that portfolio got me accepted to art center, thankfully. And I got like, you know, been able to afford it. I got a scholarship. Um, wow. and yeah. And so I'm trying to just, um, you know, roll with the punches. It's been it's been challenging, but it's been fun. And I can tell mm. my craft is getting better. And like I really enjoyed um, the learning, the technical part, especially in your classroom. Um, I learned a lot and um, I can tell now that I'm applying what you, what we learned in your class last term. And I'm applying it now with like my own personal, like creativity and projects that I'm doing on a personal level. And I'm doing it like, you know, trying to get that even white background, which is really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that, I, it's, 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 I, it's, I don't even know how to respond to that. It's, it's a new sensation, a new emotion for me mm -hmm. to have people 
using some of those things. I, uh, for the listener, I have decided intentionally to kind of build the curriculum around my own history with product photography. So I've been teaching the students how to shoot using the very versatile product set that we used at Hotlook um, in about the mid 2010s, where we were trying to achieve a white background and camera. I know the listeners of the podcast of this podcast have heard this story quite a bit. Um, but then we're talking about a bunch of different things and kind of breaking down the mechanics of like reflections. For me, the, the product photography ultimately is about making the products look good, which is ultimately about reflection management, whether it's an incidental reflection or some metallic part of the thing. It's about just understanding where to light things in the right place to get the effect that you're looking for. Um, Cause I think that a lot of photographers, when they're working with stuff like that, they don't realize that they're just lighting the wrong thing. They're just putting the light in the wrong place. That's really what all it amounts to. Okay. I thought that this could be, thank you all for the introduction. Thank you all for being here. All these students are getting five points of extra credit for <laughs> participating in this podcast. That's why Timothy's so enthusiastic about <laughs> coming in. Uh, yeah, great. I don't offer a lot of extra credit. Uh, Alejandra is going to get the, she got the only extra credit first last term. Uh, which is because I knew that she stayed till the end of a video lecture that I had sent to all the students. Yeah. Um, so I thought that this could be sort of an ask me anything kind of thing. It doesn't have to be about class. It should be about photography. I guess it doesn't have to be, but this podcast is about photography or e-commerce in general. Um, I know that that's kind of hard to do on the spot so we can make it kind of conversational, but if there's anything that you want to ask, let's talk about it for a few minutes. Actually, Daniel, today, um, besides knowing that it was going to be my first day TAing in your class. Um, and I guess um, I wanted to ask you, what are some of like the hard realities in product photography? Like, yeah, that's a great question. There are some very hard realities. Yeah, there are some really hard realities in product photography. And I think the primary one, there's two primary ones that what is happening? Balloons on my who is doing this? Whoever in the audience is putting balloons on me, please stop. I didn't need, why can you even do that in this platform? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so I think one of the main hard realities is that product photography, when you're working, especially for e-commerce, and even when you're working at a pretty high level where you're potentially doing sort of advertising work and that kind of thing, the photographer doesn't always have the level of creativity that I think you think you would want when you're younger. And that creativity is often sort of thought of as being the decision-making process of that. And so a lot of times, if you're working in a product studio, like an e-commerce product studio, you're making almost no decisions on your own about how that product is to be shot. Somebody has decided this for you. It's documented in the form of a style guide. And therefore, product photography on white um, in a big studio has a tendency to feel very uncreative sometimes. And I think that's just a, a little bit wrong way of thinking about that. I think there is a perspective that you can find that will allow you to feel creative, to build your creative and flex your creative muscles a little bit. You just are looking for it potentially in the wrong place. But that is a really hard reality, which is that you are not making you're not the star, ultimately. So I think sometimes we photographers feel like that we should be the star. And sometimes when you are in like come from a photojournalism background or a portraiture background, it's easy to be in the spotlight all the time. Commercial photography at scale, especially in e-commerce, is very much a team effort. And the photographer is one part of that process. And so you, you, I think you can be a star. And by the way that you be a star is be excellent to work with, be great to your peers and the people that are on your team, and produce work that you're really happy and proud of. Because guess what? If you shoot a great shot, 
And a stylist did an amazing styling job on that. And an art director came with a really great idea for that shot. And that shot earns the company that you shot it for a shitload of money. You still get all the credit. You don't have to act like you, your the, the credit that you get for that is not diminished because you worked with a team. You still produced something amazing that achieved the goals of the company. And that's that's the goal. The goal okay. in commercial photography is to help your customer achieve their goals. And the goals are not look at this great photograph that I took. The goals are, can we use this photograph to make money or sell a thing or tell a story? Okay. Those are the hard, some of the harder realities. Um, but I will also say that I would never trade my career for a, a day doing anything else. Not even the worst day shooting white product on set in the studios that I've worked at because I'm only the photographer that I am today because of that experience. And I think it's really important. <laughs> Okay, um, who it's between Sion and Timothy, who's got a question? Who's ready? Sion, oh, you got something? I, it's really just personal question. Okay. Uh, How so, did I grow this beard? I did nothing. <laughs> just didn't shave for several years. Sorry, Sion, I'm just kidding. Well, sorry, uh, I'll, edit, I'll edit that part out. <laughs> okay, so um, our school, um, we learn about lighting from second term. Mm-hmm. The course called uh, core lighting, and third term we learn about uh, portrait lighting. So we use the professional lighting equipments from the uh, portrait lighting. But mm-hmm. it, I think it's just like a basic of basic. Yeah. So um, that's the one of the reason why I wanna know how to set up the light in art of photography because it's gonna be different with portraits. Yeah. So um, what I'm doing right now is um, I already told you before, but. I'm not really uh, familiar with using the light equipments. So what I did in the final, in the portrait lighting last term, I just copy all set up in the, from the Pinterest. Um, mm. I think that worked pretty well. I know you are, you already a professional, but I, I really wonder like, how did you um, enhance your ability to set up your um, equipments or like whatever like while you're shooting or industry, while, while you're working in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, yeah. Um, in, that's a really interesting and a really good question. And it kind of ties back to the last question, which is that I was often working in an environment where I did not determine what the lighting setup should be. That was designed by somebody else. And that's, in, that's another really interesting thing about commercial photography. I've worked on some shoots as a lighting designer. I designed the lighting for the set. The photographer had nothing to do with it. I designed the lighting and then we brought a photographer in to shoot in that environment that I created. So anyway, that's an, that's an aside to that. I think a lot of my career um, was showing up to work at a studio, getting paid to be a photographer. And frankly, around like 20 in the, in the early 2010s, I didn't believe that I deserved to be there. I didn't believe that I was talented enough. I didn't believe that I knew what I was doing. I thought I was stumbling my way through it. And the reason for that is I had to start every day bringing that set that I showed you guys last week, the Look Nordstrom product set and lighting it and trying to achieve those certain highlight, midtone and shadow points through a collection of placing my lights, messing with curves, messing with adjustments until that color readout tool that I've showed you guys matched the levels that I need to match. And it was really hard to do that. And I often felt like I was just shooting in the dark because I didn't really understand the mechanics of what was going on. And that really led to today's lecture that we just finished before we did this podcast recording, which is just learning like the mechanic. Like it's really about learning the mechanics of how light behaves 
And I think now we can illustrate it. It's easier to understand by using like we use live view today. We used constant lights today. I showed you guys what the light pattern looks like when it hits just a pure white thing and how you can like where within that light pattern, you can isolate little gradients that are going to get you what you want. All of that was just a matter of doing it so much all the time, every day. Like, uh, like truthfully, honestly, I think I got to the level of my, I, I, I believe that I have achieved a sort of like um, a muscle memory of, around lighting a product. I think that I'm very good at seeing a product and just lighting it. And it's, it's actually a little bit harder for me to explain what I'm doing than it is to just do it sometimes. Um, but I've had to, through the course of teaching at Art Center, figure out how to teach that to somebody. And that's why I kind of landed on this this exercise we did with the mirrors today, which is to look at where is the reflection of the mirror, look at where you can place your light and your gradient to adjust that. And then it's just like once you start to develop that by doing it over and over and over again for so many hours and hours, it almost becomes... It just becomes a non part of the process. You don't think about it anymore. You're not, I'm not thinking about necessarily about light. I'm not even, th- I'm like, when I'm lighting a product and I'm working in the studio, I'm not thinking about that part of it. I'm just thinking, like, what's going to look amazing. And when I'm there, I'm there. And then it's a matter of doing all of the mechanics to get, to get the, the stuff done. And you get to that level just like you do, just like athletes do, just like anybody else who's at, like, who, who has achieved a level of, of comfort in their careers by practice, by doing it over and over again. And I can't stress this enough. I genuinely believe I'm lucky to, that I spent a career getting paid shooting random stuff for people. Uh, I got paid to do that because what I got paid to do was practice photography on a whole bunch of different things for like 10 years. And so now I'm really well equipped to shoot almost anything and know kind of going in what my lighting setup, like what my starting point should be. And that's, that's what I'm trying to teach in this art center class how to get you guys in my in my class to a better starting point where you can achieve better results faster than I did. Got gotcha. you. I have no idea if I answered your question <laughs> in retrospect now. No, uh, yeah, <laughs> Tim, do you got a, a question for me you'd like to ask? Yeah, you mentioned like now using the software to create the product picture is like getting more and more important. Yeah. So I was just wondering, like, will it be as important as the lighting and stuff for the photographer? It's a good question. It's a hard question to answer because there's a lot of unknowns about what the evolution of product photography is going to look like. But I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen. And I told you, was that last week that I talked? We talked about 3D and about th- like creating 3D models. It, the the skills that you learn in photography will translate to lighting a 3D model because it's going to look the software that you use to do that's going to look a lot like a studio. It's just going to be on your computer instead of in a physical space. Um, you're going to have controls with lights. You'll be able to adjust the quality of the light. You'll be able to change output and all sorts of things. Um, I I think that like photography doesn't go anywhere ever and there will still be product photography but for certain categories of product it's going to be the far faster and cheaper way to do it and that's going to be kind of what you want and so the 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 reason that i say that <laughs> i know i just got done saying that i feel lucky that i got to shoot random stuff for 10 years because i i've i became pretty good at photography for doing that oh we have a late entry into the group here hi diana jumping into the <laughs> to the recording hi. Hi, um, Diana has just also joined us for this uh, episode. So we'll, we'll, if you've got a question for me after we, after I finish wrap this up, up with Timothy, then you can ask it. Um, the bottom line, though, is that like 
right? Like today we shoot spark plugs because we have to right now to like 3d generate. I, well, I shouldn't say today, like five years ago, this was true. We shoot spark plugs. Amazon was photographing spark plugs because we had to, there was no other way to get a picture of a spark plug, but somewhere, somewhere out there is a 3d model of that spark plug. You can make a very convincing image. And actually people don't need to see pictures of spark plugs to buy them. They just need to know which one is the right one for them. So there's this whole category of product that studios have been shooting that photographers don't really want to shoot but that's the only way to do it right now and they're also like not technically very complicated to shoot they're not hard to shoot they're not interesting to light necessarily that whole category is going to move to 3d pretty quickly now the question will be what will make the brands that are are fighting harder for market share fighting harder to convince people to buy their stuff Mm -hmm. what will their customers tolerate and so this is when you start thinking about like fashion brands There'll be some fashion brands that will do some, they've done some AI stuff. They'll do some 3D stuff. It will be sort of a PR move more than it is like a functional production move. It'll be about telling you that we did this with 3D or with AI. And maybe that gets them some customers. Maybe that gets them some interest. Maybe it gets them some coverage in business of fashion or something like that. Why did I drop a Midwest accent in their fashion? I don't know how that happened. I've lived in Southern California my whole life. Uh, But what remains to be seen is will the customers, will their customers be willing to accept something that they know they potentially know is fake? Or is it a matter of like, do we not care that it's fake as long as the product that I receive matches the one that I thought that I bought? That's sort of the big thing. My point in this is that photography in commercial (laughs) production is not going to go away, but the types of things that we have to shoot will change if that makes sense there will be a whole category of stuff that nobody really wants to shoot anyway that we're just going to stop shooting because we don't need to and then we're going to try to push that line and see how much can we get away with there will be some companies that are not very thoughtful about their creative that are not very thoughtful about their creative teams the people who do the work who are only interested in money and they're going to move to the cheapest possible way to create images and that might be 3d in two years and five years i don't know maybe it will be but um Also, people like me who are starting to enter into senior leadership roles at their organizations, I think are going to protect their creative teams a little bit and say that, no, our creative team represents an edge, a strategic edge for our business. And maybe sometimes the answer is 3D, but maybe sometimes it's photography. Maybe sometimes it's video. Maybe sometimes it's shooting video on an old Super 8 camera because that's what we want to do. I think we're going to be able to have more options for how we can choose to be creative in e-commerce and in commercial photography or in commercial imaging, I think is a better way of saying it because sometimes it will be photography, but sometimes it won't be. Um, In commercial imaging, I think we're just going to have more options and the art director is going to make the call. Are we doing 3D for this? Are we doing AI for this? Are we doing on-location photography? Do we think that's the right thing to do? And creatives are just going to need to be image makers not photographers anymore, but image makers are going to be, need to be more well-versed in tools uh, to be able to be competitive. But again, the reason that you got hired as a photographer is because of your ability to see light and see composition and understand how those things can affect people's emotions and their decisions. I know we don't talk a lot about in, uh, emotion in our product photography class because it's a very focused on the product. But at the end of the day, a product photo that evokes some kind of emotion is still going to perform better than a product photo that doesn't. And so you, you evoke that emotion with light, with composition, sometimes with color. Um, and you get paid because you know how to do that, not because you know how to use a camera. Diana, do you have a question that you'd like to ask? And you're going to be the last one. Now we're going to wrap this up. Um, I was curious about, um, 
insurance? Like, how do you, what, like for you being uh, maybe like more of a freelance photographer, you're doing like working for companies or freelancing. Um, what is the situation with how you take care of like your side of insurance and like just kind of covering your butt about stuff? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I have found that the best answer for this question and all other types of uh, all other questions of this type is to, well, first of all, on the insurance thing, for one thing, and try to insure your equipment if you can. I understand that you all are, are younger, your earlier career money is, you, know, you may you may or may not be making money with photography yet, and that will predicate this. It was mm-hmm. a very long time before I could afford to buy an insurance policy that insured my equipment, but it was a tremendous amount of peace of mind to know that if something happened to the equipment that I had accumulated over years, it could be replaced. So Insurance for your equipment is not that expensive and it's more and more available now than it used to be because photography has become such a huge industry. Um, that's, that's a personal thing for you. That's not going to impact your customers as much. Okay. The best thing to do is to ask your customers what you need. So if you have an umbrella insurance policy that like, I don't know the terms on this, but if you have a policy that just kind of covers weird accidents at a broad range, um, you often will just need to add your customer as an additional insured on that policy. You can also buy those policies. Uh, I, when I was a young photographer and I, I didn't have a lot of extra money, I just only bought a policy when I needed a policy. If the conversation never come up and I didn't need to be insured or they didn't ask about it, I didn't. Um, but you know, that might be stupid, I guess, but also like it was what was necessary financially for me. And at the time, and I tried to be really careful about, selecting clients that I didn't think were going to result in like litigation for some reason. Um, because accidents happen, accidents happen. But the last thing you want to do is be working for somebody who's just ready to sue you with a drop of a hat because of an honest mistake. Um, but have that communication, like, don't be afraid to ask your clients for things and don't be afraid to be honest with them about some things. Like it, it, it can feel, it can feel like you're coming off as maybe not professional in the way that you would like them to expect when you're asking questions like that. But I think it's better to just be sort of like, not, not that you're being dishonest, but just like, I'll talk about this later in the semester, but the best thing to do when you're dealing with a client is to talk about everything and have everything covered. Everything should be covered in your agreement. Who's got what kind of insurance and who's covered by what, when are people getting paid? Um, When is the project supposed to be done? I just did this yesterday for a project, a different type of project that I was working on, but I laid out there like, when I expect to deliver these key things and when I'm going to send them an invoice and how much that invoice is going to be for so that there's no questions, no surprises. The minute that they signed onto it, they knew that this was the plan. And then if the plan needs to change, have that conversation. Don't be afraid to just have that conversation. My experience with big companies or big clients is that they are not these monolithic kind of creatures. You're dealing with a person who understands that you have challenges, you have problems, you have needs and things change. Um, and you can usually find somebody really cool. Like hopefully you have a contact that's really cool at your client that you can just have these conversations with. And then, and then you can put it all into a formal agreement and make it sound really scary. Yeah. Okay. Does that answer your question, Diana? I touched on a couple of bases, even with my follow-up question for turning. The other thing I want to mention to you that I know I mentioned to Alejandro's class, and this is a good time to mention it is that when you're pitching a job to a customer, separate out photography and retouching. So you're going to charge for the photography separately from the retouching. And the reason that you're going to do that is you do not want to have your photography money getting hung up because retouching is taking forever because your customer is doing multiple rounds. So we always charge, I always charge the photography as its own line item. You're going to pay this amount for us to be there and for us to shoot and capture the images. And you're paying that at the time that we do that. Then 
here's what the cost is for retouching. Here's how you estimate it, the estimated number of images, and it's either cost per image or it's hourly or whatever it is. You bill for that separately so that you can, you're just considering them two separate parts of the process. It's two services that you're offering, photography and retouching. Because what happened to us, we were producing shoots, we were hiring photographers and stylists. I needed to pay them. I needed to pay them like that day, technically, that they, were, that they did the work. They were supposed to be paid for that work. But we weren't getting paid from our client till we were done retouching. And we realized really quickly that put us in a bad spot because I couldn't pay any photographers or stylists till we finished retouching. And what if retouching takes a month? Now I've got people who are wondering when their invoices are going to get paid and it's pretty bad luck. So I think it's just better to separate those two things out. And most clients are agreeable to that for that exact reason. If you explain what's going on, they're, they're agreeable to that for that exact reason. Uh, I have actually two more questions. Actually... Okay, let's do it. Jump in. If you guys are willing to stay, I am. All right. Um, the first question is, I want to uh, know, like, how did you appeal yourself when you just get dive into the, the industry of the product photography? That, that is my first question. I, I have to be really honest with you that I think I got lucky and at a lot in a lot of different places. I wish that I could say that I just had the portfolio that people were looking for. And I don't think that that's true. I think that I started my career in commercial photography when there weren't that many people who worked in the type of studios that I worked in. So to give you the to give you the quick rundown of my background, um, it, in 2006, I took a job with a window treatment company. They made like drapes and blinds and some home good stuff like pillows and bedding and things like that. I got a job there because I needed a job. I was working in the call center. Um, I got promoted pretty quickly to the merchandising department. And at that time, the merchandising and the creative departments were part of the same team. And that's when I discovered they had a photo studio. I was always interested in photography and kind of thought I knew some stuff about photography. So I asked if I could start helping out in the studio and quickly realized I had no idea about how any commercial photography works. Like I honestly did not know that like it never even occurred to me that like somebody has to take the picture for the billboard that you're looking at. Truth. Like that's how naive I was. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, of course. Like the billboard I'm looking at, of course, somebody had to take that photo. Like who took that? Somebody did. Right. So I worked there and I, I uh, the, the photographer who worked at that company left the company. I went to go apply for that job, but I didn't have a portfolio. Really? I had like pictures of my kids and like I had done some portraits and I think maybe I had shot a wedding at this point and it didn't go super great. But when I got into photography, I thought it was going to be weddings or portraiture. I thought those were the options. I didn't know there was commercial photography as an option. So when I discovered this, one of the merchandising managers at my company really encouraged me to take product home and to shoot a portfolio to apply for this. So she let me borrow a bunch of product. I took it home. I built myself a studio. I tried, I tried my best to mimic the type of photography that we were shooting for the catalog at the time. Uh, based on what I had learned about lighting and most of the most of the lighting stuff I learned from David Hobby's blog, Strobist, strobist.com. Uh, most of, of artificial lighting, I think almost all of artificial lighting I learned from his blog and then just practice, just shooting constantly all the time, every day, anything I could. Um, I shot a portfolio, submitted it. I got the job. I think I got the job because they knew they could pay me very cheap <laughs> because I was like had no experience. Honestly, I think I got it for that. But where my career, I worked there for like six years and I was working in the studio alone and I did, I wasn't learning or growing. I was kind of like only just doing the things I knew how to do. So the big growth for me was in 2013 when I got hired by Nordstrom. And now I was going to be working in a big commercial studio with other photographers and learning from those other photographers and working with stylists more often. And that's when things just kind of like went crazy. Like that's when I started learning way more about Capture One, way more about how to design your workflow so that you don't lose track of what you're doing. 
Um, and then I, I went to Amazon after that for a few years. I was at Nordstrom for two years, Amazon for two years. I was at Farfetch for a year. I managed this, I uh, supervised the photography team at Farfetch for, or I said Farfetch right for a year. Then I had the commercial studio in LA with a couple of partners, uh, right before COVID. And so during that time though, I'm just shooting and I'm learning about management and I'm learning about producing and I'm learning about Mm -hmm. booking freelancers and, um, but to answer your question, I think I got that job at Nordstrom because there just weren't that many people who were who had experience doing what I did. Um, now, my recommendation would, would would be to you is to learn what the hiring managers need from a photographer. And I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you right now what they need. They need to know somebody who understands how to use Capture One. They need to hire somebody who understands the environment they're going to be operating in. So a studio, potentially a large studio with lots of different people that knows how to work with a stylist and and be productive with the stylist that knows how style guides work and what they are and why they exist. All the stuff that I'm trying to teach you in this class is the stuff that you need to let the hiring manager know that, you know, to make yourself a better candidate. And then you need to have a, you did, you, a portfolio that I think showcases what you're good at. But I always thought it was worth, and I still do this sometimes, I deliver a portfolio based on what I think that person wants to see from me. I don't have one portfolio that I just send to everybody. I, I create bespoke collections of work depending on the job that I'm trying to get to show that person I can deliver on what you need, and here's how I can do that. Um, so my second question is, um, as you see the, the, the website of the, the big brand, like such as Nike or... Uh, or something else. Uh, their their website has a, their own uh, product, the photo of the their product image, right? Yep. So, so I would, I just want to know the procedure of how they um, hire a product photographer, or um, how product photographer get a request from a client. That's yeah. I I just want to yeah. know the process. It's way more networking than not. Mm-hmm. For something like Nike, especially, it's way more like getting to know people, I think. Um, and part of that is because producers and the people who are responsible for hiring those photographers move around all the time and they take all of their favorite people with them. So like a really great example of that is that a producer that I worked with at Nordstrom, her name's Casey, now works for a company called Frank and Eileen that was a customer of my studio in L.A. She brought over all of the same people that Casey has liked working with to start working with Frank and Eileen when she went. So all these stylists that I knew went over there. Uh, and that's because like people build sort of a roster of people that they really like working with. And so there's a couple of ways to kind of break into that. Um, one is to uh, like cold. I mean, honestly, like I've had people drop off stuff at my on my desk at Farfetch and I was pretty impressed by that. Like I had somebody came in and dropped off a little book for me and a little printout that showed what they were capable of. Fortunately, I wasn't in a position to hire them, but I was really impressed by that. Um the uh i have personally found that like building up my profile on social media for me is not very effective but there are tons of people for whom it is effective so that's one path building an audience building a style so to speak which which i don't know how much i agree with that i think it works for some people it's not something that works for me but that is a path i've seen people take and use and get jobs that way people are like i found this photographer on instagram i love their work and that's who we want to hire for this job um the other thing is to look at seek out agencies to represent you. And that's going to be like, I don't want to th- put the word out there that signing on with an agency is going to result in more work than you can handle. It doesn't usually, but 
the agent is going to be out there talking to the producers, talking to the hiring managers for some of these studios who hire freelancers, and they're going to be showing you their book. And I've, I've met a lot of new photographers through that process that I developed a relationship and then hired for later subsequent jobs. So getting in is hard. Getting in can be really hard. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like it's not. However, once you're in, once you have that shot, no matter how big or small that shot is, be excellent to work with, be on time, be communicative, and, and, and just like generally make sure that the people that are there like working with you and are happy with what you did and just be easy to work with because that will get you the call back. If, if, if you come in and it's problems on day one and you've got stuff to complain about, then my get like odds are you're not going to get called for the next job. But if you come in and you do what you're supposed to do and, and you're good to work with and people enjoy working with you, then, yeah, you like I, I, I had one a great example of this. And I'm sorry, I'm rambling now, everybody. I had a Digitech who called out sick for a job. I begged a photographer friend to like send me anybody. I don't care who at this point. I just need somebody in the chair. <clears throat> She sent me a couple of names. I reached out to the names on the list, found the first person was happened to be available, brought him in. And he was phenomenal. He was so phenomenal that I started booking him more consistent as, as consistently as I could. Now, I always made an effort to try to be really equitable with how I booked people and make sure that I was keeping people in rotation because that's how you have a good, healthy relationship with a freelancer is you want your freelancers to have clients elsewhere. You don't want them to only work in one place all the time. Um, but the bottom line is, like I said, just, just be good to work with and and uh and and you will once you get that shot you will get a call back i think that's a pretty safe bet you talk about the networking right so do you think is if the instagram or personal website works pretty well with that also i i so i don't know i have really ambivalent ambivalent feelings towards instagram i think my instagram like uh, like I'm not popular on Instagram at all. Like if you look oh. at my Instagram, you're just like, eh, there's a, another photographer with 1400 followers on Instagram. I have found that, that going to commercial photography conferences and hearing from people and getting to know who's who and developing relationships is a little bit more productive. That can be kind of expensive depending on the conference. There's a cost associated with that. I can tell you all right now, there's a conference that uh pixels, the retouching company puts on in LA the it's going to be an LA event called flow it's April 10th and 11th this year that is free for attendees and certainly I'm going to uh, ask the art center students to maybe consider attending this because you will get to meet producers you'll get to meet high level people at the companies that you potentially want to work at the studios that you want to work at I will be there and be happy to introduce you to anybody that you want to meet um, and then we can go from there but like I, I will say this to you to all of my students current former and future one of my jobs, and I, I took this from Chris Kern at CBU, one of my jobs, it doesn't end at the end of the semester. One of my jobs is to find the connections for you to, to, to find work, potentially. I'm mm -hmm. not promising you that I can find you a job, but I can probably introduce you to some people uh, that, that, you, that you can put the work in to get the job yourself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I take that really seriously. Like I want to be able to introduce you to the people who want to bring the work in, and that's some, a small thing that I can offer. Um, again, it's up to you to be great to work with and make sure that you, when you get that chance, when you finally get into the studio, that, that you earn that call back. I'm really curious about what just you uh, told us. Uh, what was the name of that? Like the, the uh, event? Yeah. So yeah. the, um, the pick, the, the company is pixels, P I X E L Z. And they're a oh. retouching company. They put on an event called flow and it's a commercial photography event with lots of photographers producers senior creative leaders who are giving talks about ai 3d photography workflows 
Mm-hmm. A lot of times they have a, fo- a portrait photographer there that you can get your headshot done if you want to get an updated headshot. But the most important part of those events is is getting to meet people and talking to them and, and building relationships. And- and does it start April 10th and 11th this year? It's two days, April yeah. 10th, April and 10th and 11th. And it's in a, it's a, it's, a, they found a studio at downtown LA to host it. I'll, I'll have to find all the details for it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, we got to wrap up at this point. It's we're like very, very far after the time that we said that we would do. Thank you guys so much for coming on and for asking the questions to the couple of people in the audience who are putting balloons on my face. Thank you for that. It was delightful to be covered in balloons. I didn't know you could do that on this thing. So that's cool. Leave it to the youngsters to figure out technology for me. Um, there's a slight chance that for some reason, Sion's and Timothy's tracks aren't working because it doesn't show that they've uploaded at all. Hopefully it works and the episode sounds good. If not, I'm going to have to figure something out. So with that, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys for coming on and, uh, I'll see you in class. I won't be in class in the next two weeks, but following that, I'll be back. That's it for this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast. Many thanks to my students from my product photo class at Art Center. And thanks to you for listening. The show is hosted, produced, and edited by yours truly. With special thanks to Sean O'Meara, Calvin Lands, Ian Mitchell, and the entire team at Creative Force. Until next time, friends.